0: the back and follow along with us as we go through the sermon this morning. So let's welcome one another and pass the peace of Christ. All right, I want to invite you to find your seats again. We'll have time afterwards for fellowship and refreshments after the service. want to welcome back our Chattanooga team. Our youth who came back yesterday, and I know they're feeling a little exhausted and tired, uh, so I'll give them a break if they fall asleep today. Uh, it'll be all good, but wanted to just welcome all of you. If you are visiting, we want to welcome you, especially if this is your first time or if you've been here a couple of times. Uh, we are a church that uh, welcomes all people uh, of all different sorts of people and we're glad that you're with us and we hope that not only do you experience the welcome and the warmth of our church but also that you would experience the love of Christ this morning uh, through the songs through one another and through uh, the sermon that we'll look at this morning just a couple of announcements going on uh, that we want to highlight first our women have just began meeting for their summer psalms Bible studies, and that's on Monday nights. And so they'll meet tomorrow night again. If you want more information about that, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just uh, have is Abby here, Abby Hummel, right there. So talk to her. Jenny Lynn, our women's director, is actually at a family reunion. So talk to Abby, and she'll give you more information about that. Or you could pick up one of our women's flyers outside, and they'll give you more information about what's going on this summer. Second, uh, I know you guys are super excited about this. We have a congregational meeting right after the service. We'll have time for refreshment, but then about 15 minutes later, we'll resume back in the sanctuary. It'll only take about 10 minutes, 10 minutes of our time to re-elect Han Pack as our elder and um, Mark Peck, who's over at our East Campus in Maplewood, as elder as well. They've been on sabbatical and inactive for the past uh, six months to a year and so they will be coming back on and the session has recommended that to you and so we'll vote on that and then you'll be dismissed afterwards so stick around grab some food and snacks and then come back in and we'll get we'll get going with business i think that's it with that uh, i'm going to invite you to turn your bibles to psalm chapter eight psalm chapter eight Um, If you don't have a Bible, uh, you could use one of the church Bibles that are provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there, if you're going to use one of the church Bibles, turn to page 450. 450, And we're going to be looking at Psalm 8. For the rest of the summer, we're going to be going through these summer Psalms. And as you turn your Bible to Psalm 8 want to just introduce a little bit of what the Psalms are. Now, I know, have, have any of the children been with Miss Cindy Fisher in her class for Sunday school? One of the beautiful things that, <laughs> there you go. One of the beautiful things she does in her class is she says, and she asks her kids, where would you go to the Bible to find so-and-so? So, one of the questions I want to ask us is, where would you go in the Bible to find something when you're sad? Or when you're mad? When you're angry? Or you're going through suffering? Where would you turn in your Bibles to deal with some of the emotions that we experience every single day? Well, one of the places we go to is the Psalms. The Psalms are made up of 150 chapters, but they're divided into five books. And what we see here is really the hymn book for the people of God, Israel. This was what they used to sing the songs that they would use to form who they are in their love for God, in who God is, and what the world is all about. So let me give you an example. One way to think about it is, if you've been following, we've been going through the World Cup in Russia, right? And if you watch a World Cup game, the entire single game for 90 single minutes, you will hear these chants and these songs by all of the fans in the stadium. Why? Well, the reason they do that is because it forms their identity and who they are. That they belong to the country of Korea or Mexico or Belgium or Germany or Japan. It forms and reminds them of who they are, that they belong to a nation. But not only that, what does it do? It forms and shapes their confidence that they know that their country can win. And so as they sing these songs together, it gives them confidence, it reminds them of their identity. It shapes who they are and they believe that they can win. And in that same way, the Psalms were all of these songs that the people of God would sing in the Old Testament and in the New, and even today, the church, to shape who we are, to remind ourselves as we sing together, as we read these Psalms together, we belong to God. And so as we do this, I hope that this would help us shape who we are. That as we do this, we are being remade more and more into God's image. So let's read this. Psalm 8. How majestic is your name. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To distill the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, oh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even though the grass withers and the flower fades, Lord, your word will stand forever. And so Lord, I pray that as we look at this psalm together, You would help us to stir our hearts, stir our hearts to love you, to be reminded of who we are in light of your creation, so that, Lord, we might love you more, we might love your people more, and love your creation. Won't you do that now? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Bear with me. I've had a cold or a flu that I got on Monday morning, and I've struggled and wrestled through this entire week with it. So sorry if my voice sounds hoarse and it sounds nasty to you all. But we'll get through this this morning. Imagine with me that your job every single day is to be outside. And not just outside during the day, but at night. Imagine that your job is to be during that graveyard shift when no one is awake. Everyone is sleeping, but you are called to work outside in the field, taking care of sheep. And this is what you get to do every single night as you lie down on the grass and look out into the skies. Play this. This is what David the psalm writer got to do every single night as one who took care of his sheep. While the sheep were sleeping, while he would protect the sheep in case there was any bears. He would look out into the vastness of the sky and see the beauty of God's creation, the stars, the moon, who would wonder how far is the closest moon? How far is the closest star out in the sky? How big is the expanse of this world? And he got to do this every single night as he looked out into the beauty of God's creation, minus those cars that were passing by. <laughs> This was what David got to experience. And this is actually why he writes Psalm 8. He looks out into the vastness of the sky and sees the stars and the moon. And he writes this beautiful poem of the wonder of who God is. And what I wanted to do this morning is look at it in three ways. The beauty of God's creation. The confession of creation. Then lastly, the grace of creation. Because this isn't just a psalm about creation. It's actually a lot more. It's about who we are in light of God's creation. So the first point, the beauty of God's creation. C.S. Lewis said that this was a short, exquisite lyric. And rightfully so. Because... If you notice, the first verse and the last verse are repeated. It's the bookends of everything that David writes here. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And then he repeats it again in verse 9 as he finishes his psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Every single night, he looks out into the beauty of God's creation. And later in Psalm 19, he writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. He can't fathom just how beautiful God is in his creation. One of the interesting things that I found out was ancient astronomer, astronomers were quite skilled at mapping out the night sky. They would be able to predict every single star and its movement throughout the sky. But what puzzled these Greek astronomers was that there were about six, a half dozen stars or so called stars that would move in ways that seemed absolutely random. And guess what they called these random stars? Wanderers. These six stars that would just wander and didn't do what they predicted. And lo and behold, later, what guess what they were? They were planets. These planets that you would assume were stars were way out in the galaxy, out in the universe, out in the cosmos. Now let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. There was a beautiful um, Hubble telescope that captured the formation of, the, of a star that was 170. Thousand light years away. 170,000 light years away. Now, our minds can't even understand how far, how vast that star that the Hubble telescope captured is. Do you know how long it would take you? How many miles away it would take you to get to that star that was forming? And I'll show you where it is. It says, we're looking seahorse, and right above it, that seahorse is all gas. And it needs all of that gas and energy to create that one star that you see kind of bursting. 170,000 light years away. And guess how far it would, guess how many miles it would take you to get to that star that formed. 102 quintillion miles away. 18 zeros. That's how far away and how big our universe is. If that doesn't help you understand how vast and how great our universe is. I couldn't find sand, so I found the next best thing, rice. Because it's very accessible to me. (laughs) But imagine now. Imagine there's a grain of sand, but it's actually a grain of rice. You know, you got to contextualize, right? So this little, little grain of rice. Imagine that we took the entire earth and put it into this little grain of rice, guess how big our solar system would be? If this was earth, guess how big our solar system would be? The size of Bush Stadium. Now take our solar system, right? And now put that into this grain of rice. Guess how big... Our Milky Way galaxy would be. Now this is, this is our little, little, uh, uh, what was it? Solar system. <laughs> I can't even keep it straight. The Milky Way galaxy would be a thousand times bigger than Bush Stadium. Now take our Milky Way galaxy and put it into this little grain of sand or rice. And guess how big our observable universe would be? It would be the entire stadium that the Cardinals play in, Bush Stadium. Do you understand how vast and big and glorious and magnificent our creation and our universe is? It is gigantic, it is huge. And as David looks out into the sky at night and during the day, he can't help but say, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, and how does he do it? In verse 3, he says, It was the work of your fingers, not your arm, not his arm, Not his hands, but his finger. Why is that so significant, people? Friends, the reason that's so significant is because it tells you of how great our God is. Not only how great our God is, but that he's an artist. Tim Keller, quoting Jonathan Edwards, says all other religious and world creation accounts came out of a result of a battle. But Christianity is about God's love and creating out of His own delight. And it's in this place that we see with all artists that their creation and art tell something about the artist himself. All of creation points to who God is. His wisdom, His love, His joy, His beauty, His wonder, His humor. You see, God created how the entire universe, with just His fingers. That leaves us wondering how big, how huge, how glorious and immense God's creation is. But that's not the only thing that it does, right? Because it leaves us wondering, yes, this universe And God's creation is absolutely huge, and wonderful, and glorious, and beautiful. But guess what that does for David? And it brings us to the second point, the confession of creation. Looking at how vast and exceedingly great God's creation is, he is struck with how small, insignificant, trivial he is by comparison. Doesn't it? He says that here in verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He looks into the vast universe and how big and ginormous and beautiful it is that we just saw in the sky. And he goes then, how can you be so mindful of us? We are so small. We're not even the size of a grain of rice compared to the universe. You can't even see us. Like, why should you care about me? Why should I even care about you? And isn't that the question that we all wrestle with at some point? What is the meaning of life? Does God care? What is the point of all of this? Does God truly love me? Or are we just some, some random matter of atoms that co- collide and we just somehow are just, just substance? But here, David confesses that what is man that you are mindful of us in this great expanse of this universe? As I wrestled with this and the meaning of life, I actually emailed one of my good friends who's been an atheist his whole life. He lives in Chicago, and he emailed me back this, which I thought was as honest and raw as can be. This is what he said. He said, I can't speak for anyone else, but as a lifelong atheist, this question has been of the central dilemmas of my life. I feel like a lot of answers are pretty flip. He's talking about his atheist friends, are pretty flip about the situation. And I suspect that's largely because most people don't want to think Too hard about the futility of life. A lot of atheists atheists ultimately construct meaning and work hard all their lives to imbue that meaning into their existence. For me, the futility of existence has often been overwhelming and limiting. The meaning in your life is largely a matter of your own creation, and I've heard many good ideas passing something on to the next generation, helping an organization or a society, or something else that is bigger than you, creating something that will live on after you, leaving some kind of legacy, living well and helping the people you meet along the way, simply enjoying the time you have, and delighting in the pleasure of existence itself. These are all good answers, and each one works for some people, but none of them address the problem that ultimately the end is the same, oblivion. The universe doesn't care. The universe is impersonal. Ultimately, I haven't found a lot of meaning. But there is a great deal about this life that I enjoy, and there's plenty I can be invested in. And if at the end of my days, I simply fade away into nothingness, at least I won't be around to be disappointed about it. I thought he was honest. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, if there truly is no God, and we're just just substances and matter, then life truly is meaningless. The universe doesn't care about us because it is impersonal. But here, David doesn't come to that conclusion. He sees the universe and how big and glorious it is. He sees how small and insignificant we are, and he concludes, I cannot believe that you are mindful of me. That's his confession, that God deeply cares for us in a universe where we are but a speck of dust. We are just a mist, a vapor. He looks at us and says that we are truly loved. And you know how he says that? Look at verse 5. We are crowned with glory and honor. And secondly... We have dominion over the works of his hands. You know what David is doing? He's taking us back to Genesis 1 and 2. He's saying the reason that God is mindful of us is because we are made in his image. We have dignity and we have worth and we have meaning because God has put himself in us. He has breathed life into us. And he has made us to rule over all things. That was only—that was the job description of only God himself. And he gives us that godly job to rule over his creation and to care for it. You see, there's no other worldview that can explain why we should care about human rights. There are no other worldviews that ultimately give us any sense of why people actually matter. When we're looking at this whole issue with immigration and families being separated... The only worldview that can explain why we should care about human dignity and why people matter is because we are created like God. We're not just meaningless atoms that will just become dust once again. But within us, God has created us in His image. There's something absolutely beautiful about that. And David touches upon that exact promise that we find in Genesis 1 and 2. And says, you are mindful of me because I am made in your image. And there I find dignity. I find worth. I find value. And likewise, we are called to look at every single person in all of creation in the same way. Gender, race, ethnicity, ethnicity, immigrants, refugees, those with disabilities. Your social circles, those that are unpopular, that don't sit with you at the same lunch tables. Those that are quote-unquote labeled as losers, or geeks, or nerds, or jocks. Every single person matters. In God's image. And that is absolutely beautiful. And he cannot comprehend that. And that's his confession. That in the midst of such a large universe, that you are mindful of us. Brings us to our last point, then is the grace of creation. You see, the description of humanity in verses five through eight that I just read isn't just about us. And here's the beautiful part of it. The grace of this passage is that it points to someone more preeminent, the greatest human ever to live, is the par excellence of all human beings, the preeminent, the supreme. And who that points to is Jesus, the Son of God. And why that's so important for us is because when you actually think about humanity, as you think about what's happening in our world with wars in Syria and in India and at our borders, the problem is, is that we're not doing what God has called us to do. We don't see the dignity of all humanity in each person. We're not ruling the earth and caring for the earth as God has called us to do. We are acting out in rebellion. We're acting out in war against God because we think we should be God. And that's why here in verse 2, you look at this interesting verse. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. What is that talking about? What well, they're talking about is that we are those people. We are the foes. We are the enemies. We're the ones that rage war against not only one another, but against God. And here what we see is that it doesn't take war to defeat war or strength. It takes weakness. It takes humility. It takes the words out of a baby's mouth to defeat the enemy. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He is. The preeminent human who is God himself, but comes down as man. as a little babe, grows up in his humanity, lives the perfect life. Even under the most tempting of situations, he never gives in. He resists sin, and lives a perfect life, obeys God completely. So that why? He becomes the blameless lamb to die on the cross for you and for me. See, it's not one of strength, it's one of humility, of suffering, of death. It's one of lowering himself so that we might be able to experience life as God has called us to be. Hebrews 2 actually touches on this Hebrews 2 quotes the verse in chapter 8, and then says this, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him for, for a little, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You see, that's the grace of creation. He tastes death. He goes to death for us so that we might be able to live and flourish as God always intended us to flourish. So that in our weakness, we could love those that are unlovable. In our weakness, we could seek the advantage of others instead of our own advantage. Because of Christ's death, in confidence, we can actually love people and see every single person made in the image of Christ, not because of our political standing, but because of who God has called us to be as His beautiful, glorious creation. That we are crowned with glory and honor and that we are to bestow that on every single human being. You see, in other words, what Psalm 8 points to is that We have a Savior in Christ. His name is the most majestic in all the earth. He is crowned with honor and glory. And He is our rightful King. See, and that's where we find meaning. That's where we find hope. When we see how majestic His name is in all the earth. See, the greatest manifestation of glory and power was by God becoming a human baby. Why? Because he was mindful of you and for me. And when we think and ponder upon that, we could be mindful of others in our lives that God has called us to, whether it's in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, those that are so unlovable, so hard to love, where our patient runs out in a split second. When we think of, God himself being mindful of us we could be mindful of others so how do we become remade in the image of God we look to creation look to creation there we will be able to see how vast and glorious and beautiful God is but also where we get to go to is to the table when we look at Christ the preeminent human of all humans God becoming man. And when we look to Him, we are going to be remade more and more into His image. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that You are mindful of us, that You care for us. The greatest way that You showed, it wasn't just in creation, but it was through the redemption Of Jesus Christ going to death on the cross for us. Oh Lord, O our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May we be able to just ponder today and be reminded of how glorious you are, how much you love your people, that even when the worst is known, that love is still offered to us. So that may be that may may that be our hope. May that be our Our joy and our delight this morning and this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue in our worship, we have the opportunity to confess our faith together. You can find it on page 7 of your bulletin. Or you could use the um, screen that's provided.